is the Sounding Board Podcast with Hachi and Damo. Thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Nice to have your company on the Sounding Board for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. We're up to episode 22 of series six. We're both remote again. Hello to you, Craig Hutchison. Hello, Damo. And can I start off the bat to you? Congratulations. Uh, fresh on the heels of being voted the president of the Cynics Association, you've taken on your second board presidency. And when it hit my inbox on an AFL media release, I didn't know. I laughed for about 10 minutes. It just gave me that little pep in my step for the rest of the day. You've taken on the, the presidency of the AFMA Media Committee. You are now the president of the Australian Football Media Association who spends a whole year running one event to award itself awards, of which you receive them most years. I've heard it all. You are the president trying to make sure that, A, the best electronic reporter stays in the list every year, and, B, that it goes to you. <laughs> no no one, no one have I, uh, no one more than you, Haji, have I come across who, who hoards media awards more than you. So uh, we should so get you on the committee. Walk me through your strategic agenda for the AFMA because um, I think it's got a lot in common with you, the AFMA. It's ha- it has 364 days off a year, so it doesn't do anything until the awards in uh, that night in September. Um, there's a big committee, so there's a lot of people sharing the workload. I know she got nine directors for one event a year. <laughs> They're all great people, don't get me wrong. The Sophie uh, Maguire, Matt Kitchen, Greg oh, Boyle, yeah, Michael Neal, Catherine Murphy, Sarah Ollie, yeah. Glenn McFarlane, Jay Allen's on there from the AFL. How many people does it take to put on a pie night? This is is what it is. How many people? You don't have any cost of talent because everyone in the room gets up and does their thing. You award each other awards. Um, And now you're the president of this nine – is it a nine-person board? My my biggest challenge, Hachi, will be to get you back to attending the occasion because you you stormed out famously about five years ago and have not been seen since. No, that's not entirely true. But the – what what is your agenda, Damo? Like what you know, if the AFMA seeks to become a powerful weapon in the world of of media and um, and lobbying, what how are you going to take this organisation? Sit me, <laughs> sit the sounding board down, audience down with the first board meeting. When you sit down as chair, and you say, right, welcome everybody. Um, yeah, we're going to get to today's agenda. Um, of course, we've got the big event coming up in September. That's on the agenda. Um, if there's any other agenda items on the table, please feel free to add them. And How's this going to fly? And how often are you going to meet? How many times a year can you say that'll never work? Uh, which will be your modus operandi. No, I don't think that'll work. Um, and I, I think it's great to see some uh, other people on the committee. But it, it, this, I'm fascinated to see where you take this great organisation, Damo. If, if I was to take one piece of advice uh, from you, Hutchie, given you are the, uh, the CEO of, a, of a, an ASX-listed company, what, what would it be, please? Um, work more than one day a year would be uh, would be a step in the right direction. So try and get a second thing going other than the actual event itself. Work out what you exist for in the first place. Is yep. it just to award each other awards? And if so, just call that out. If not, if it seeks to become a, a galvanising body representing the interests of journalists, I think we'd all welcome that. Could you at least please put some thought into how you might do that, how you might take the business forward? Um I think reflecting um, something to reflect Tony Shepherd, Tony Shebeki's efforts would be nice because it's always good to look back on on those that have come before you and Caroline and Mike. So like a, a reflective award on the previous presidencies would be good. Um, and 
I don't know what BT is. BT back as host? Is he not back as host? There's a lot of big issues to get through. I'd, I'd like to get you. This, this is what I'm, what I'm getting to. I'd like to get you as host of it. As of the of the evening? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not beyond a commercial discussion. It's not the sort of thing I do anymore. <laughs> but you know, if, if, the, if the money was right, I'd probably look at it. I'm sure. You'd have to be if, a reach, if, for, I think, for the organisation. If I was to broach this with the, uh, the the board of directors, Hachi, would would you be open to it, and would you uh, would you seek to take a, a lighter hearted approach to the evening itself? No, I'm I'm in all seriousness because I'm just having a bit of fun here. I've said to you along the way that I would like to sponsor the event, and that will continue. And when and if you unveil your plan for the other 364 days of the year, you can count me in as interested in wherever else you get to, other than Wednesday, September 19, which at the moment seems to be the sum of the business. Um, and I think you know, cutting the awards down last year from 60 to 58 was a good step in the right direction. So you know. If, I'm sure there'll be a lot of debate on whether you land in the mid 50s or stay higher. Hachi, um, Hachi, when, before I got to know you, you you spent you spent weeks on end submitting your awards. You used to get the bells and whistles and the music bedded underneath your your presentation. I I know what used to happen with you, but now that you think you're above it all and you've moved on, that uh, you just look down on it. That's a pretty good summary, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of events, Thursday, July 22, Astor Theatre, the famous Astor Theatre in Chapel Street, St Kilda. You and I are doing something, apparently. What's this about? We are. So this is a great cause. So we are working with Caro and Corrie for the first time. We're doing a mashup, I think as Jane calls it, of our respective podcasts. So the Don't Shoot the Messenger and the Sounding Board mashup is Thursday, July 22. It's at the Astor Theatre. It's a 5 p.m. arrival and 6 p.m. live uh, podcast. It's $35 a person, and all proceeds go to Breast Cancer Network Australia, of course, who are also wonderfully... Uh, sponsored and partnered by uh, Don't Shoot the Messages partner, uh, the wonderful Australian business, Red Energy, 100% Aussie-owned gas and electricity. Um, so we're getting involved in this, getting behind it. It's to a great cause. Um, obviously, Don't Shoot the Messenger, a fantastic podcast. It's doing uh, incredible things, and it'll be nice to spend some time with Caro and Corey. So the four of us, uh, and that'll be, a, that'll be a joint podcast demo. So a little bit of fun, and we'd encourage anyone who wants to make a contribution to come along on the night and join us. I might get you to host that one, Hutchie. Is that okay? Can I put that out there for you? I think you're, you're better at those live functions than anyone I know. Damo, if you think for a minute that our podcast is getting the hosting job on that night, <laughs> you're not you're not reading the play. <laughs> we, uh, it'll be very much. I would think that the ticket sales for that, if there's one percent of the sounding board in the in the crowd, it'll be like an away game at the West Coast. Um, <laughs> Is don't shoot the messenger has a fanatical following and rightly so. And I've been to their events and they do it magnificently well. We have never really been able to attract anyone or anything we've ever done. So um, we've never I think done it'll be fantastic. We, we talk to each other usually down a, a computer screen these days, don't you? We don't, we don't uh, seek such uh, such um, occasions. Yeah, no, it's, it'll be it'll be a great night. And um, as a as a big fan of Don't Shoot the Messenger, as I know you are, and uh, my yep. partner Claire was, went on recently. We'll look forward to being there on the night and. Um, doing doing something for a great cause, which is, of course, Breast Cancer Network Australia. And they do a magnificent job. You've dealt with uh, that wonderful organisation before in your free yes. show days. Hey, I want to ask you, just switching gear if we can. In journalism, I've got to, I want to ask you about a theme, which I would call the relationship reset. Most journalists and subjects have never have linear relationships in my mind. They always have periods where they are uh, working together or on favourable terms, and then there are periods where things are thorny or less favourable terms. For most journalists, they go in and out of these periods of their life with, with subjects. 
for you, you're a good hater, so you tend to hang on to these things and stamp people for a long time, and then before you know it, you end up in the cobwebs in a New York bar, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> I, I, mentioned all, I mentioned the relationship reset for this reason. Monday's Herald Sun newspaper demo had yeah. Dan's return to work yeah. triumphantly published, not only on the front, special coverage inside pages four to seven, or something of that, that silk, um, ilk, and went into... Um, was the was the it was Dan his family it was the whole sit down we're back we're refreshed we're going to run next year it looked like um uh, and it was obviously good content because we hadn't heard or seen from Dan so no no disputing that was a great get um but I ask you this in the context of do you feel that that is a an attempted relationship reset from the Victorian government who have had a checkered run with. Uh, News Limited, and providing that degree of access is the first step in the relationship reset. It could certainly be read that way. He did do the media rounds. There, there were a lot of interviews done in advance of his return to work on the Monday, and there were a lot of interviews on the Monday itself, including a 90-minute a press conference, Hutchie. So, yeah, that was the best told full sit-down. And there was the first like – he'd done the Instagram uh, or the Twitter clip on Sunday, but that was the first proper – Here's where we're going. Um, and it made sense. Like, if you were advising him, him as I'm sure uh, the Brendan Donahues of the world would have been, they would have, that would have been what you would have advised him to do. Um, but they haven't had a good run together. Like, so do you think that was the attempt to, to rewire the relationship? It, it appeared that way. Now, whether it lasts, whether there's undertakings from both parties um, ongoing, I, I'd, I'd be surprised. I, I think the next time that organisation actually wants to, to attack, they will, um, and that's their right to do so. I mean, they've got strong views on what he's done to this point, and yeah, given he's away and and absent from work for the health reasons, very serious health reasons for as long as he was, um, yeah, the return to work component and the media around it, it was it was media managed to within an inches of its life, isn't wasn't it? I mean, his own, he's got a massive media team, and and th- I think they would be arguing they do it pretty well. Now, other people might have different views. I'm not as caught up in it as, as some are with regards to the the resource required for him to have his um, his media team on, on board as they are. But ultimately, though, when it comes down to it, Hutchie, I don't think it's going to change too much. If, if the Herald Sun wants to attack him tomorrow, I reckon they will. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but equally, if they were offered that story uh, the way they were, you would have actually, no doubt, given it the treatment that they gave it as well. But yeah. it, it did... St- I did sense it was a half it was a half olive branch, and I suppose when someone's been away, you do get a chance to hit the pause button a little bit and reflect, and potentially it's a reason to try and reset um, a challenged relationship. Do you, is that how you you see it? And it's happened. I would assume that's happened to you a lot in your career, where you've had times where you've had to do, hit the reset button. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to have the right reasons to do it. If, if you're doing it just to try and get a, a story, that, that that's the wrong reason. And I don't think it works if, if, if you go down that path either, Hutchie, as, as, as that being the reason for the patch up. It's got to be genuine. It's got to be organic. And look, maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe there has been some, some empathy given the, the, the very serious nature of, his, of the fall that he, that he had and maybe an understanding of the pressures and stresses attached to it. But – Again, I'm not, I'm not even going to make this a news limit thing, Hutchie. I think it's fair to say, though, that media, we in the media will, will do what we have to do at a given point in time. And, and that's the way the, the game works, isn't it? it there's many, no, there's many, no undertakings. How many reset buttons have you had 
have you pushed a year on average and how many times have you sat down for a reset? Um, it, it would happen a couple of times a year, wouldn't it? It would happen a couple of times a year. <laughs> Come on, be honest with the sounding board community. Are we talking yeah. four, five, six? No, probably not four or five. And, and as you well know, Hachi, it, it sometimes comes from the other side too, doesn't it? It's not, it's not always think- we on the media side of the fence trying to patch it up. It's sometimes the other side, you know, trying to patch it up for other reasons. But again, it, it does, it's I, like life, though, isn't it? Don't you think? It's, it's, it just gets down to the quality of relationship at the outset of it before the said blow-up. And then you, I think I'm as not, you get older, you analyse it a bit more, don't you? As in, is it worth it? Is, is, is it actually worth going through the – and it's sometimes a charade, isn't it, the relationships we have on the – on this side of the fence with the others. And actually, I might just swing it into, into this conversation now, Hachi, because this is part of what we're talking about. The, the great Tom Brady, the, the Super Bowl winning Tom Brady, he's on a media campaign as he, of his own right now, given he's won another Super Bowl at a, at a new club. And I just want to quickly read to you something that he's happy to now post publicly himself via his own accounts. What I say, this is a quote from him, what I say versus what I think are two totally different things. I would say 90% of what I say is probably not what I'm thinking, which is challenging. I really admire people that actually can do that and say what they think because they invite a lot of other things into their life. I think there's a part of me that doesn't like conflict. So in the end, I just always try to play it super flat. From a strategic standpoint, I never want to give away what we're doing. I usually say the opposite. It's a longer conversation that he's had with a, with a media outlet over there in the States, Hachi, but I might be honestly there that he has just said 90% of the time when he well, says you, something into a microphone. How do, you know how do you know that's being honest? Because using his model, nine-tenths of what you just read out would be incorrect. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I think he's um, illustrating, though, and, and we, we can, know this. How can so you his honesty this. about his dishonesty? Isn't that isn't – that, uh, we, we've discussed this regularly, Hutch. You and I have said a few times on the sounding board, in fact, regularly on the sounding board, we will have conversations with people. We know where they stand, and then we might hear them on other outlets saying the complete opposite to what they've told us privately and not for publication. So I, I don't yeah, think he's own there when it comes to most elite sports, sports people, people. Most sports people are playing the role of a version of themselves when they're being interviewed, and that – there's a whole gamut of reasons for that, but the most, one of the most biggest reasons is not to give away a competitive advantage. The more competitive you are, the less likely you are to be honest. And he might be the most competitive person walking the planet, Tom Brady. So, I don't. None of that surprised me at all. Did, did it surprise you? It doesn't surprise me. It surprises me that he went public with that admission that he talks rubbish when the cameras and microphones are on. Well, it was a it was a concession that he probably it was assumed, but not. Not explicit, right? So he didn't necessarily need to say it. That said, I'm not sure I believe everything he's saying there, Damo, to be honest. <laughs> Do you believe uh, – can you believe what happened during the week with uh, our mate, Mark Stevens leaving media to go oh. and work for the Liberal Party? Yeah, before we come to – just before we come to Steve, just to, just to wrap up the um, the Dan Andrews chat before, but I was about to raise it with you and then you moved on to um, – which I understand with Tom Brady. You raised that John Fain – cancelled interview with Dan Andrews because of the amount of media that he'd done. Can you can you shed some light on your views on that? Uh, it, it was it's it's actually moved a bit since we exchanged those texts during the, the week, Archie, just because we were going to be doing the, the show, as you know, earlier in the week like we normally do. I, I don't think it's as, as massive a topic for us to, to delve into as I initially thought. Um, again, there's always two sides to every story, and I, I know in the end – in the end, I don't think it's worth our while sort of delving too deeply into it. They they made a decision to, to not run an interview that John Fain had done on their platforms, that being the ABC. And 
I, I can get those reasons for what it's why, worth now. Why, that I, hang now on, that I why, know. Can, why can you get that? Surely the, the Premier of Victoria returns to work on the biggest talk format on the ABC. Surely it's in the it's in the it's in the public interest to run some of the interviews, isn't it? No, I think again, this this is where I haven't probably done the the, the legwork that would have been required for us to talk about it fully. But I, I think there was a suggestion that it was the choice of Dan Andrews for it to be done that way. I see. Okay. I don't have an issue with Dan Andrews seeking for it to be done that way, not to run it, in, in, if indeed that was the reason that they did. Um, back to Steve-O, though, more importantly for our, yep. our show, Hutchie. I spent a bit of time on this on our Saturday morning show off the bench, working through his preferred yeah. cabinet when he becomes Liberal leader. And uh, the 35-person cabinet, I think Jane intends to retweet that uh, audio uh, today, uh, for those who haven't heard, off the bench on, on podcast on Saturday mornings. But um, like like you, I'm infinitely amused by Steve-O. And uh, I think, you know, it's it's a, it's a good move for him, Damon. I think it's a it's a nice move to um, go and follow a passion. If your life's about doing what you, you love and are interested in, if that's a passion of his, why wouldn't you do it? You don't point looking back when it's all said and done and say, oh, I wish I'd had a crack at politics or gone into to that role. I'm sure it, um, it, it, it's well compensated as well. And um, it's not as stressful as journalism every day, probably, or maybe it's more stressful. I don't know. But television news has a lifespan, I think, because it is yeah. relentless. And I admire yeah. everyone that does it. There's so many talented women and men who um, who are, who are, we may have a bit of fun with it from time to time, but it, it's a tough gig. And as is yeah. journalism, so good on him. What do you think? Yeah, a bit the same. I've, got, I've, I've, um, I, I haven't had deep conversations with Steve about politics, Hutchie. I, I usually try and steer clear of politics in any form of friendship conversations I have with people. But yeah, look, I was, I was surprised as, as a lot of people were that, that he's gone down that path. I, I wasn't necessarily surprised for what it's worth that he's got out of the, the TV game, given the, the, the toll that you've just referred to there, and that you can relate to far better than. Anyone, given you and he, you did that same well, he beat a, um, very yeah, very sure successfully health, for a health of battle years. was health battle was a consideration in all of that too, and probably gave him a chance to pause and reflect. Um, I asked this question on Saturday morning as well: How many minutes of um, token um, good luck and well done, mates? Do you think <laughs> it went for before Tom Brown marched into the news director's office and demanded <laughs> that the title be moved instantly to above his desk? <laughs> And from Stevos, <laughs> what over and under on the minutes? Um, I, I'd be going over and under on the uh, the seconds. I, I wouldn't have got to a minute. It wouldn't have got to sixty <laughs> seconds, Hachi. <laughs> yeah, it's been one of the great. Uh, it's been one of the great apprenticeships, hasn't it? To be the deputy yeah. chief football reporter, Tom. It's been. Has there ever been a more um, accomplished um, period of transition? And uh, I'm sure the the pressure of Tom looming large every day would have just been uh, driving Steve over crazy for a year or two. Um, well, look, I don't think we're giving up any trade secrets. And when I say that, I, I don't claim to know the trade secrets when it comes to those two. But I don't think they had a I don't think they had a very close working relationship, Hutchie, which is not unusual when it comes to high end newsrooms in uh, in sport. I, I mean, I've referred to a couple before where. Newsrooms are not at all, are not at all friendly yeah, or helpful. I know I relate to it. I had the same, uh, you know, we we, we have a um, we're we're great these days and have a great um, respect and friendship. But uh, in those days, Anthony Mithen and I, Channel Ten, in 1988, 1998, 1999, had a challenging little run. Um, even though we were 
again, friends at the time, it, it's very difficult when you both are doing the same job in essence in footy and often have a different story on the same day that oh, I remember times where we were pitching to do the exact opposite story to the news directors <laughs> at the time, back to back in the news. There was one night where I was about to say something, this is about to happen. And his story was, this is not about to happen. And, and instead this is happening. And the, um, the news is not really, particularly Channel 7, which is not, um, oh, it's, it gets a little bit, it's now these days, but it, there's it, not a lot of airtime for footy in the news. It's not something that, you know, you've got to, I'm sure every day when you've got Steve-O running one way and uh, Tom the other, and you're trying to give them both a bit of hang time to keep their um, to keep them happy, it would have been pretty challenging. And Mitho and I, we juked at it. We had one year where we just juked it for about three, four months. Uh, very challenging. Ultimately, pretty good for the product because you, yeah. you're getting a better result by driving each other. But, yeah, very, very challenging. Yeah. Hachi, we, we spoke some weeks ago when one of our listeners alerted us to the, the use of the phrase impeccable source, an impeccable source said. And it got a bit of traction. People like the conversation. I see today in the same publication, the, the, the Herald Sun, there's a reference to, and this is a quote, high-placed sources, high-placed sources. So, so where do yep. they fit in the scale? You've got impeccable being the, the benchmark. I reckon it's a it's a just below impeccable, isn't it? Or, or, or is it two rungs below? High place sources uh, rank below impeccable. On they're about two rungs below. You know who's even two rungs below that? People good? who would know. People who would know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We saw one of those last night on the uh, on Footy Classified. Ross Lyon responded to a report on I think it was AW Breakfast that quoted people who would know have said that, he, that he'd been contacted by Carlton. And, and Ross called out people who would know. He said, why don't you put some rigour around whether they actually do, do know? Um, that's rigour for you to, to follow. Um, yeah. So people who would people who would know are a rung below high place sources and a significant rung below impeccable sources. And and where do we put, Hachi? Because this, this is a, a new, a relatively new theme. It might be a four or five-year-old new theme of people wanting to be sources when they ring and tell you that they've just spoken to their source who – and. Yep. That, that source was right on a previously positive oh, yeah. tip off. Yeah. So in, in Sir Club here, you know, uh, listen, so-and-so is going to be sacked by uh, this club today. And the bloke who told me that, he was right the other day when he told me that the other bloke was going to yep. be sacked. So he, he's good. He knows people. I'm glad so you raised this. I've been meaning to raise this for a long time. I'm glad you raised this. You hear this in newsrooms all the time about someone who would know because he was right back on this occasion. Here's a yeah. tip for everybody. There is no form guide in journalism. <laughs> None. If someone has ever been right before, it gives them no more or less right to be right the next time. It means nothing. There is no form guide. If you're a sub-editor or an editor and someone comes to your desk and says, yeah. a guy told me and he's been right before, it doesn't matter if he was right before or wrong before. He's got a 50% chance of that. It means nothing. You don't acquire... Um, rightful badges around town and people say, oh, you know, you better tell that guy because he gets it right most of the time. It that means nothing. There's no form yeah. guide. So yeah. it's out the window. It's not, shouldn't be used as a validation of a story ever. Yeah. You wanted to uh, discuss the financial review being Australia's most trusted newspaper, Hutchie, according to it oh, yeah. itself. <laughs> yeah, I like this. So um, You love this writing this your wheelhouse, this stuff. I like this. So the financial review 
uh, reports that the financial review was Australia's most trusted newspaper <laughs> in the recent <laughs> in the recent <laughs> uh, consumer research. Uh, that story got to run in the financial review and nowhere else <laughs> other than the financial review. So it wasn't picked up anywhere that, else. It wasn't picked up anywhere else. No, well they beat the others to the story. You see, so no one wanted to go second. <laughs> and did they go with that story because they had a, an impeccable source who who had been right previously and who told them that they were the most trusted news source? Well, they they trusted the story because it was about how trusted they were. So that was the lens they'd, they'd applied and they'd been right before. You're right. So the financial review, well done, is Australia's most trusted publication, according to the financial review. And before you, you start with the letters on the hip, hypocrisy here, of course I'm <laughs> hypocritical on this. We've written about ourselves more than anybody, Damo. So I'm having a laugh along with it. So don't, you know, but it's... Um, yeah, I did. I did like, it. and it, it made the front page blurb, Damo. Too, it was. <laughs> you had to go. You had to go inside for the full story. Did you? It was a pointer. It was a pointer. It was a. It was a pointer. It was. <laughs> what would what would our claim to fame be, Hutchie, if we were to uh, to, to assess ourselves as as a as a reason for people to to listen? Well, it, are we trusting? You'd be this. We'd be Australia's most cynical podcast when you're speaking, and that would be probably our our calling card, I reckon. And the fact that we've survived series six, episode whatever, when it it, it really had no right to, they would be our calling cards, I would think. I saw during the week that uh, your man Andrew Bogart has been appointed uh, to the commentary roster of Channel Seven uh, for the Olympic coverage, and that is going to be compelling listening because he will, as he always does do, call it as he sees it. I raise that though because I have uh, we have discussed in the past that your station, SEN, will be taking the Channel 7 coverage of the Olympics onto your platforms. And I just wonder, as media baron owner of SEN that you are, or at least controller of, will, will you be comfortable running the voice of Andrew Bogart on your platforms? 100%. Yeah, that's if that comes to be, that's that's fantastic news. Uh, he's, uh, I've watched uh, and admired the last couple of weeks, Damo, since he became an NBL owner. He's not there to be passive. That's clear. Yeah. He's got a lot of value to add. Um, been welcomed by the league. He's got a very uh, positive voice at the table on ideas, and um, you know it's great to have him involved in the NBL as a Sydney Kings part owner. And, um. They've seen some of his uh, thoughts and ideas already uh, come to life. So, yeah, uh, we'd have no problem at all, Damo, having him on. Uh, we've broken bread, Damo. We've we've broken bread or donuts in this case. Have you really? Yeah, when we caught up for the NBL owners meeting a few Saturdays ago, he Ooh. and Paul Smith were kind enough to bring the Krispy Kreme donuts to the table as a bit of a laugh. And uh, I was too scared to have one all day in case it ended up on his Instagram. But um, <laughs> but it was a nice gesture, and uh, yeah. So he's uh, he's involved in Sydney, and um, you may have you may have read that we've got a bit going on in, in basketball ourselves. So look forward to look forward to working <laughs> with him. I, I hadn't caught up with that. Okay, so there is a thaw. Is is this part of the overall thawing of, of you then? Given that you went on the uh, Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast some weeks ago, as as, as the starting point to the the thawing of Craig Hutchison, is is the relationship patch up with Andrew Bogut also part of that? It's not an, not an intended thawing demo, but if there's any uh, suggestions out there of thawing publications that you think might be suitable, 
I'm certainly happy to, happy to consider them. I'm unthorable, Damo. We've talked about this, but but uh, good to have him involved in the sport. All right. Hachi, let's get to question of the week time. On the sounding board, it's our question of the week for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to drink, choose to Drinkwise. We'll go with the question from Matt Issel on Facebook today, Hachi. He addresses this to both of us. A footy club leaving a state often means it is likely to go into lockdown the next day or soon after. How close is the dialogue between the AFL and state governments regarding these decisions? It's, it's a good question. Uh, last year, the AFL was clearly ahead of the, the curve when it came to getting the Melbourne teams out of Victoria in, in a very short window when it did. And... Uh, it's happened again this week where teams have all been required to leave their states. The non-Victorian teams, for those who aren't AFL listeners or watchers of, of, uh, who are listening to us, all eight non-Victorian teams are now in Victoria, based in Victoria for the week at least. And they have coincided, those travel plans, with shutdowns or, or lockdowns of some description in the states they're in. So, look, there, there would be no way they would be getting a directive that that's what's happening. But I would imagine, Hachi, and I think there's a body of evidence to suggest that, and to Matt's question, that their intel is as good as anyone's when it comes to having to make a decision. And they're just... I keep using the phrase, they're ahead of the curve. And sometimes there have been some precautionary moves that may not have had to have been made. And there might even be a couple of state clubs in Victoria right now that, that may not absolutely require to be. They'd be the Adelaide ones as we speak, Coach, on this Thursday morning. But ultimately, the AFL just doesn't want, them, want to run the risk of having them stranded. Yeah, I think it's smart business. They've got great um, relationships with all state governments. They've been able to work through what uh, each state, they've got a kind of, access to the decision making I guess so and the and the platform they need to work within and then they gotta move quick. And what they've done a, a great job. I think all sports have by the way. Um you look at what sport has done. We've everyone got through their season. Now the A League found a way through um yeah, netball found a way through uh the NBL found a way through with fans at the last game last Friday night. It, I just think the efforts of all sport, the government, have been phenomenal. Like there have been so many complications, we've almost taken it for granted how hard they work to, to shift things and move things. Remember, remember two years ago, cast your mind back, maybe three years ago, when the AFL moved a game, it was a back page story of a newspaper. It was, yeah. a, you know, they're, they're considering moving the Hawthorne Essendon game from Marvel to the MCG because of the fans, and then a decision will be made tomorrow. And it has been moved, or it hasn't. Why? Why not? It was a big thing. Now moving uh, venues and is is very um, very common. Hutchie, just on the the basketball component to our conversation there through Andrew Bogut, it would be remiss of me if I didn't actually say to you, well done as as owner of Melbourne United for its extraordinary NBL premiership winning season. It was a great effort by the Melbourne United team, no doubt about that. I, to have been through what they've been through as players and coaches, I, I think it's it's. It didn't get the media attention it probably deserved from a narrative point of view that, in essence, all bar one player had COVID last August. It was, you know, a mini cluster that went through the team. The It was reflective of the community at the time, was it, which was at six or 700 a day cases, and in, in our, our team was no exception through no fault of its own, Was had, uh, had a significant COVID issue. And to have recovered from that health-wise to have been able to play in a city which was shut at the time, to go on the road early, to finish the season on the road, to last 10 games on the road, 
just incredibly um, overawed by the effort. Well done to everyone involved, the coach, Dean Vickerman, um, the chairman, Simon Hupfeld, the CEO, Vince Crivelli, and the players in particular who, and who were able to, to make that happen. Pretty extraordinary effort, Damo. Yeah, yeah, it was, actually. And, and I, I actually agree with you. I mean, just given that we're, we're smack bang in the middle of a, an AFL season with, with its own issues when it comes to, to COVID, I, I think that was the reason it wasn't more prominent. But um, just as a sporting achievement, it was incredible. Just on the, the lighter-hearted side of it, and I say lighter-hearted of it because uh, it, it amuses me that you are owner of the the uh, Melbourne United team that you're about to buy, according to these news reports I keep reading and seeing and hearing everywhere, the team you beat in the NBL grand final, that being the Perth Wildcats. And I know, I know, Hachi, my sources on this are impeccable and they're high, what are they? They're high-placed sources that you're about to buy the Perth Wildcats. So why don't we spend a little bit of time on that tomorrow in a special drop of the sounding board? How's that sound Ooh. on Friday? Oh, oh, really? Yeah, give me that, 24 that, that hours. That to me you've got something to say. Give me 24 hours to have a think about things and we'll have a chat Have a chat tomorrow. Ooh, well, I'll get back to my high-placed sources and even my impeccable sources and the ones that have been right before on basketball team ownership acquirement and I'll be ready to ready and armed when we have this chat tomorrow then. Okay, look forward to that. All right. Funny way to end this uh, edition of The Sounding Board, this edition being episode 22 of Series 6, as always, for DrinkWise. Awesome. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to drink wise. And also for our sounding board audience out there, what I would love you to do is tweet me or the sounding board suggestions for what Damo should have as his uh, strategic framework, his agenda for the AFMA presidency, where he'll take this famous organisation into the future. So if you could please uh, send us your suggestions. He is developing a policy and we'd like to help contribute to it here on the sounding board. For Drinkwise, if you're choosing to become president of the AFMA, Or buy an NBL club, a second one. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Sounding Board Podcast with Hutchie and Damo for DrinkWise. Make sure you find us on Facebook and Twitter at Sounding Board EP. Hit the sign up button on Facebook to receive our weekly email and subscribe to, rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. 